this point. Everything was all good. God decided in his uh, incredible creative kindness that he would make a world that was designed for human flourishing, that was all good. Now, of course, we know that uh, sin came into the picture and that's been fractured. Uh, Your experience has probably been that everything is not all good. But that was God's original design, was that everything would be all good. He created a world in which humans could flourish. Now, we know that's true in, on the highest level, but consider a verse from the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that God has created you anew in Christ to do the good things that he prepared in advance for you. He, he made good things for your life long before you were ever born. His plan A for you, for your life, is that you would flourish. Um, you're probably like me, though. Uh, sometimes I step outside of that plan A. <laughs> sometimes I know what, what I should do, and I know the life God has designed for me, but sometimes I go my own way. Uh, we, all, we all do that. But God's plan A, his best plan is for you to flourish, and not just for you, but that's also his plan for your family, uh, which if you've been around Center Church for a while, you know that's, that's really what we're about. We feel like strengthening families uh, is one of the best ways that we can help people know Jesus. Because uh, if you look around, you see there's a lot of families here. There's a lot of kids, a lot of parents, a lot of grandparents. Uh, there's some of you who aren't there yet, but you will be. Uh, and everybody has parents. Uh, so we feel like strengthening families is really our best mechanism. It's who we are. It's the best way we can help people know Jesus. And his plan A is for your family to flourish. As you go through the narrative, one of the things you'll see that's so cool is really how the Bible is just a continuing story from beginning to end Uh, A continuing story of how God is putting his family, his creation, back together again. Restoring it all back to the place of being all good. Being very good. And in spite of the things that have gone wrong, which are many, God continues to move forward. We're about a third of the way through the narrative right now. And we see God just continuing to move forward, putting things back together again. There's setbacks, and people do the opposite of what he's told them to do, but he just keeps moving forward. There's a verse in Job chapter 17, verse 9. It says, the righteous keep moving forward. The righteous keep moving forward. Some of the older translations say, the righteous holds to his way, meaning the righteous person, the person who's following God, stays on, continues on the path that God has for them. So if you're like me, uh, my problem is rarely knowing what to do. It's usually doing it, right? Uh, maybe, maybe that's just me, but I don't think so. A lot of times I know what to do. I just choose to do otherwise. But the righteous person or the person who's following God knows, okay, I've gotten off course here, but I'm going to continue back on. Uh, so I want you to know today that God's plan for you is to continue moving forward. If you've gotten off course, that's okay. You can get back on course. The righteous person keeps moving forward. No matter where you're at right now, uh, God wants you to flourish. And he can make a new path starting right where you are today. So do this for me. A little crowd interaction. Uh, we're doing that today. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep moving forward. Because God wants you to flourish too. Good. Oh, that one was weak. Tell him, because God wants you to flourish too. All right. Uh, I noticed that you turned away from your spouse to say that and not to. Okay. All right. Cheryl, can you analyze that later? She's, she's the, resident, uh, the resident therapist or one of them. Uh, we, we have a few. So uh, what would you call somebody? Just imagine what the life would be like for this person. 
a person who had more wealth than Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates combined. That's a lot of wealth. Uh, and they also wrote more songs than the Beatles. A little throwback for, uh, you know, I'm multi-generational here. Uh, they, they had more wealth than Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, and they wrote more songs than the Beatles. Uh, they wrote romance stories that were more popular than every grocery store uh, novelist that you can imagine. They gave more advice than Dr. Phil, and they had more wisdom than Yoda. Imagine that person. What would you call that person? What did you say? Solomon. Oh, you know the answer. You read ahead. Uh, I asked that question one time, and somebody said Oprah. Listen, I do the jokes here, all right? Uh, That's a good answer, though. Yeah, Solomon. There is such a person in the Bible named Solomon. Uh, history records Solomon as being uh, likely the wealthiest person who's ever lived on the face of the earth. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about David. Uh, Pastor Rick talked about David and uh, some of his, uh, I guess I just call it his humanity. You know, if you... Um, If you've read the Bible, or even if you just hung around church for a while, you know, David has like this prominent place. He's Israel's greatest king, but he was also a regular dude who did some really stupid things too. Uh, Pastor Rick talked about that last week, which was awesome, but uh, so we've been talking about David, David as in David and Goliath, as in King David, as in David who wrote much of the Psalms, Uh, and this is how we get from David to Solomon. It's on page 176 if you're reading in the story. Uh, Most of this week's chapter is lifted from the book of 1 Kings. It's 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It says, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to his son Solomon. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said, which is a really funny way of saying that, but I think we all know what he means. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him, and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as is written in the law of Moses. And then he gives the reason for it, Uh, because apparently, you know, millennials, younger generation, you like the why, you got to know why before you'll do it. Solomon was the same way. So David tells him why. He says, do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me, David. And the promise God had made to to David long before this was, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul then you, David, will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. And so this is how Solomon becomes the king of Israel. He's handed the throne. He inherits the throne from his father. But the title of this chapter in the story is The King Who Had It All. Solomon became the king uh, by way of succession, but he didn't become the king who had it all by inheriting it. Page 176, 1 Kings 3 and 5 tells us how he became the king who had it all. It says, The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. This is an interesting situation, isn't it? Uh, It's one that I think probably most of us have envisioned. Like, if I just had one wish, what would I wish for? What would you wish for? If you had one wish, if God came to you and said, "Ask, Ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Uh, there was this commercial a few years ago that my kids just loved. I don't even remember what the product was, but the guy like found a lamp and he rubbed it and the genie came out, right? And he asked for a million bucks. And then he looked out the window of his house and there's just deer everywhere. Uh, anybody remember that one? Okay. My kids just love that. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I'm blaming it on my kids. I loved that commercial. It wasn't just my kids. Uh, but secretly when I read the story of Solomon, like I'm kind of hoping something weird like that happens, right? 
Because the genie's always like really tricky, like trying to put one over on the greedy person asking for something. Well, Solomon turns out to be really smart. Uh, he turns the table on me. Uh, the fact that I'm hoping something ridiculous happens probably says something about me. I'm sorry about that. But, uh, but Solomon's really smart in what he asks for. It says on page 177, Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant, me, uh, Solomon, king in place of my father David. So give your servant a discerning heart. What's a discerning heart? It's a, it's a wise heart. Give me wisdom to govern your people and to distinguish between wrong and right. Okay, so here's something I just have to settle with myself uh, before I go any farther than that. Um, some Christians like the idea of moral scorekeeping, uh, right? Like we, we judge our value on the basis of someone else's behavior, or we judge them to be a good person or bad person depending on how they compare to me behaviorally, right? Well, this is a situation where uh, nobody in this room does that. I mean, other people, okay? This, this is a situation where we lose because Solomon, uh, Solomon is just amazing. He asks for wisdom. If you get one wish, you're not asking for that. I mean, it might be something as simple as like a new house or a new car or maybe like a gazillion dollars, but you're probably not asking for wisdom to discern between right and wrong and to lead the other people into prosperity. Uh, Solomon wins the moral scorekeeping. So he didn't become the king who has it all by just, you know, uh, taking out a small loan of $1 million from his father and building a great company. A little political joke for you. It's never good when you tell a joke and then you have to explain that it was a joke. <laughs> Uh, Solomon doesn't become the king this way. Uh, this is what it says in 1 Kings 3 and verse 10. It says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And God is so pleased with Solomon that he gives him wisdom, but he also gives him wealth and power. Okay, it's just a little lesson that we can file away right here. Uh, if you're thinking to yourself, okay, how should I pray? Um, you know, in this situation, how should I handle this? I say start by asking God for wisdom. And Jesus actually makes a, a really interesting remark about this in the New Testament. Uh, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all the other things that you need, those will be added to you as well. Well, this is exactly what Solomon just did. He sought first God's glory and the benefit of God's people, the world that God loves, and all the other things were added to him as well. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, how am I going to handle like raising my children? Well, ask God for wisdom and then the other things will be added to you as well. Or uh, how am I going to handle this situation in my business? We have uh, in, uh, in church plants, there tends to be a lot of kind of entrepreneurially minded people, a lot of business owners that are part of our church. Ask God for wisdom and everything else you need will be added to you as well. This is how Solomon became the king who had it all. And he becomes, uh, as history records, the wisest and wealthiest king, wisest and wealthiest leader in the history of of the world. And there's this famous story uh, that's oh, just like borderline absurd. It's so crazy that happens right after this, right after Solomon receives wisdom for God. God blesses him with wisdom. There's two women who both have a child on the same day. And uh, unfortunately, one of the children dies in the night. Uh, awful situation, right? Well, uh, in their day, as you probably know, uh, like the highest thing a woman could probably aspire to in their day was to have a son. Uh, and so a much different world than what we live in today. And so the, the mother of the deceased child pulls a switcheroo, right? Like she, she switches out the children in the night. And then the other mother wakes up and is like, no, that's my kid. And so they're having this argument over the living child. And they bring their case 
to Solomon. And Solomon says, get me a sword. Because that's what we would all say when two people are arguing over a child. That's, that's an unconventional method, I think, by all of our standards. So Solomon takes the sword and he says, hey, problem solved. I'm going to cut the kid in half and you can both have half. And one of the women is like, yeah, well, that's fine. That serves you right. That's what you get for trying to steal my kid. Uh, and the other woman says, of course, don't do that. Just let her have. Just let her take, take the baby. Don't, don't, don't harm the baby. Well, of course, Solomon knows that's the mom. That's the mom. Uh, and he, he gives the child to the woman who wanted to save the child. And this story just blows up, right? It's all over social media. The bloggers are writing about it. Solomon's just this amazing, wise king. And everybody knows it. But there's something really interesting about this particular type of wisdom that Solomon has. Remember, he didn't ask for wisdom for personal gain, for personal prosperity. He actually asked for wisdom to do two things, to glorify God and to bless the people. And this was why God was so pleased. God was pleased because Solomon wanted to glorify him and to bless the other people. And here's the difference between what I would call godly wisdom and conventional wisdom is that godly wisdom exists to glorify God and to bless others. Conventional wisdom is like, hey, I probably shouldn't eat five slices of pizza for lunch today. I'll settle for four. That's conventional wisdom. Godly wisdom exists to glorify God and to bless other people. So this story becomes a really big deal. Solomon's fame spreads all over the world, uh, not just because of this, but because of some other things, and he successfully makes Israel great again. <laughs> Thank you. And watch what happens. It says in 1 Kings 4.20, the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Okay? They were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, drank, and were happy. This is where they're at as a nation. Now, uh, here's something you wouldn't really notice in this verse if you hadn't been reading along throughout the narrative. Okay, remember Abraham? Way back in chapter 2, there was a guy named Abraham, okay? In the beginning, God creates everything, and sin comes into the world, and the fall of man, and God starts over with Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you the father of many nations, and the whole world will be blessed through your descendants. Okay, you remember, remember that story? Uh, watch watch what, uh, what God promised Abraham way back in Genesis 22, 17. He said, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And here it is. God's promise is taking shape. Uh, Solomon and his nation, they are the direct descendants of Abraham. We're actually far enough into the story now uh, that we can see God's original promise of reconciliation actually coming together. And in 1 Kings 4.29, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcul, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. Riley, do you know who those people are? I don't either. I have no idea. But apparently they were the thought leaders of the day, and Solomon was wiser than all of them. And this is the golden age of Israel. Uh, they're prosperous. Uh, they once, just a few generations ago, were slaves in Egypt, but now they're powerful. They have this place of international prominence. This is the golden age, okay? So now fast forward. Uh, you'll see this when we get there in a few months. In the New Testament, when Jesus comes, 
Uh, the people of Israel, they're, they're hoping that the Messiah will restore Israel to a place of prominence. And that he'll, he'll th- overthrow the Romans who have sort of occupied their nation and restore them to wealth and prosperity and power. What they're hoping the Messiah will do is bring them back to this. Uh, they're hoping that the Messiah will basically be the second coming of Solomon and, and lead them to right here. But a lot of the Jews are expecting a political leader, but God's plan A is not restoring Israel to awesomeness. That's, that's not what he's going for. It's not to make Israel awesome. His plan is to restore all creation back to very good. His plan for all of this entire nation of people isn't that they would just enjoy prosperity. His plan for them is that they would bless the whole earth. That hasn't changed. Uh, We are, because of Jesus, we're adopted into God's family. We are descendants of the same family. And God's plan for us isn't for us to just be awesome, although you're exceptionally awesome. God's plan for us is that we would be a blessing to the world around us. God blesses his people for the sake of his glory and the benefit of the world that he loves. So in all his wisdom, uh, Solomon is just this really smart guy, and he decides for our benefit that he's going to write some of it down. We call it the book of Proverbs. And it's, it's right there, just like lodged in the middle of the biblical narrative. Uh, it's so funny because the Bible reads, it reads like a story. It's a historical account in many ways. But about halfway through, you come to the Psalms and the Proverbs. And it's just this speed bump, right? Because it's not narrative. It's not a historical account. It's, it's just wise sayings from the wisest person who ever lived. And it's really interesting how God makes this speed bump, or maybe like a detour, right in the middle of the story. And I think there's actually a really important reason uh, that God knew uh, why he wanted to put that right in the middle and interrupt the narrative. Because God knows that sometimes people are really stupid. I, I don't know how else to say that. I was trying to think of a nicer way, but... Sometimes we just do dumb things. Uh, I should probably just personalize that and say, sometimes I'm really stupid. Turn to your neighbor and say, sometimes you can be really... No, just kidding. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. They already know. Trust me. They don't need your help with that. Uh, God puts these, this wisdom right in the middle of it. And uh, over and over, God has told the people, listen, if you go this way, it's going to go well with you. So we come to a fork in the road. God says, hey... Go to the left. Things will, I want you to go over here. It's going to go well. And we're like, nah, I'm going to take my chances over here. Uh, but that just happens all the time. Like, you've done that. I've done that. When I get to the end of the fourth slice of pizza, it's going to be decision time. And guess what history says I'm going to do? Okay, maybe not four, but uh, we do that kind of stuff all the time. Check out what Solomon says about this in Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord, or the, the reverence, reverence for God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom. If you want to get anything from Solomon's story, you have to understand the importance of wisdom. I think we could all agree, I would like to be wise. The book of Proverbs is just really this contrast between wisdom and folly or wisdom and foolishness. I prefer to be on the wisdom side of that equation. But to understand Solomon's story, this is, we really have to understand the difference. Wisdom is not information. Because like I said earlier, the problem for me is rarely knowing what to do. It's usually doing it. Uh, When I get into trouble, it's because I didn't do what I knew I should do or I did what I knew I shouldn't do. It's not usually knowing what to do. A guy named Tim Sutherland has a really, what I think is a really practical definition for wisdom. He says, wisdom is primarily the ability to make God-honoring, life-producing decisions. Primarily, wisdom is the ability to make God-honoring, life-producing 
producing decisions. Uh, it's the opposite of foolishness. Now, foolishness or folly uh, is not usually the, uh, the lack of knowledge. It's not generally a cognitive problem. Uh, it's generally a problem of the will. W- would you agree with that? Generally, foolishness is, I know I shouldn't go this direction, but I'm going this direction anyway. Now, here's why this matters to you. Here's why it's important. Because wisdom will lead you to a life of flourishing. This is Solomon's instruction all throughout the Proverbs. Wisdom will lead you to a life of flourishing, and folly will lead you to destruction and disappointment and regret. Uh, No one ever makes a foolish decision and thinks, yeah, that was awesome. I should do that more often. Uh, Folly leads us to a place of regret. So the Proverbs tell us all kinds of practical things. Uh, They tell us how to spot a deceitful person, uh, someone that we can't trust. Uh, Man, that'd that'd come in handy sometimes. They tell us how to love, how to conduct relationships, how to uh, avoid unnecessary trouble, how to know God's heart and hear what he's telling us. The problem isn't knowing what to do, because we can, we can read the Proverbs and it will tell us the problem is actually doing it. I love what Dave Ramsey says about this. He says, you know, if I could just get the guy in the mirror to behave, I'd be rich and skinny. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that true? Like the problem is usually not knowing what to do. But God made Solomon the wisest person who ever lived so that you and I could know the path to life and flourishing. And wisdom is nothing more than just choosing to follow down that path. So during Solomon's life, uh, Israel has a moment. They have a, a period of prosperity. God had promised Abraham, the patriarch of the Jewish people, that, uh, that they would become a great and prominent nation and be a blessing to all the people. And here they are. It's, it's happening right now. Now remember, back at the beginning, what God had said to Solomon's father, David. He said, if your descendants walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Surely Solomon can figure out how to make that happen. Uh, I just want to let you know right now that what's happening in the room next door is just the sound of fun. Uh, We will know if there's danger. So surely Solomon can accomplish this task, right? All God said was like, if your descendants just follow me, everything will be fine. Surely Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, can at least pass that on for one more generation. Nope. This is what it says in 1 Kings 11.4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as his father had done. Earlier I said that God gave us the Proverbs because he knows people can be stupid, and I was joking, but not really. Solomon is choosing very foolishly. If you're wondering who these other gods are and what the problem with them is, uh, Ashtoreth, one of, the, one of the really ugly things that, uh, that this particular group of people did was they practiced temple prostitution. And uh, the reason Molech is called the detestable god of the Ammonites, the Ammonites actually practice uh, infant sacrifice to their gods. And, and these are the kinds of things that Solomon had gotten caught up, on, caught up in. The problem is when we say people are foolish or people can be stupid, uh, guess who we're talking about? The other guy, right? It's always the other guy. But not really. Let me ask you a rhetorical question, okay? If the wisest person who ever lived fell into foolishness, is it reasonable for me to think that I'm impervious to foolishness? Probably not. 
That's probably not a reasonable thing for me to think. We're all subject to sin's deception. We're all subject to folly. I had a professor in college who used to say, the problem with deception is deception. And his point was, if you knew you were being deceived, you wouldn't let it happen. But that's not how folly works in our life. It's deceitful. We're all susceptible to it. But God's plan is for you to flourish, for your family to flourish. And so we have this great opportunity to set ourselves up for it by keeping in mind Solomon's downfall and observing how he fell into foolishness so that we can avoid it. Solomon's downfall is really evident all the way at the very beginning of his story. You ever, uh, there was a situation, uh, you remember, uh, this is, <laughs> can't believe I remember this. Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt got married several years ago, right? And, and one of the things that they said in their interview was, hey, we're just going to, you know, try this out and see how it goes. Now, what does that make you think about the future of their marriage? No, that's not going to work out well. Well, here we are, and exactly what you would have thought would have happened all the way at the beginning when they said that is what happened. They're not married anymore. Well, the same kind of thing happens in Solomon's life. Solomon had this, uh, this flaw. 1 Kings 3.3, 3, way back at the beginning, it says, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given to him by his father David, except, does it matter what comes after that? Now, maybe on some level it does, but without even knowing what comes after that, you can see Solomon's in trouble. Now, if you're wondering, what did happen was Solomon got involved in worshiping other gods, offering sacrifices, and burned incense. But I don't think any of us has any trouble identifying the operative word, except. As soon as you hear the word except, you know Solomon's in trouble. Uh, so, like, if my friend Owen here says to his soccer coach, hey, coach, I'm going to play really hard all the time, except... Well, his coach knows without ever hearing what comes next, they're in trouble. Or if you say to one of your clients, hey, I'm going to do a really great job for you, except, or to your spouse, hey, I'm going to be totally faithful to you, except, no, that's not going to work, right? This is a clear indicator that there's a problem here. It almost doesn't even matter what comes next. Now, here's the part that stings. Uh, it's the bad news, but don't worry, it's the beginning of the good news. We do this to God all the time. I do this to God all the time. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I want your plans for me, except, and this is the beginning of the bad news, but it's really the beginning of the good news. Because what does Romans 5, 8 say? It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to clean yourself up. Uh, he still loved the worst version of you on your worst day. Uh, even, even Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, uh, think about this, uh, Solomon had 700 wives. That means Solomon had 700 mothers-in-law. How foolish is that? <laughs> Who has 700 mothers-in-law? Who thinks that's a good idea? Even Solomon just had like his one area where he just couldn't get it right. But guess what? Christ died for you when you were still a sinner. How about that? When you were still foolish. And we see in Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, that no matter how great or wise or disciplined we become, we still need a savior. That's really the point because it, it just goes to show us that no matter how wise we are, we can't save ourselves. But guess what Philippians 4.13 says? It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to ask Jess and Pat to come. Uh, they're going to lead us in one song before we go. Uh, but this is something I just want you to consider, kind of a big idea, okay? Uh, for many of us, the difference between wisdom and folly, success and failure, 
is that one word, accept. God, I'm going to do it your way, except in this one area. I know a guy who's doing a, a decade in federal prison right now because he was a Christian, except when it came to reporting his firm's finances. Uh, I have a friend who gets to see his four kids uh, every other weekend because he was a Christ follower, except when it came to managing his relationship to that woman at the office. Uh, I, I have friends who are in a marriage that's just cold. They're, they're still married, they're still together, but they're just, they're just unhappy because they're Christ followers except when God says that husbands and wives should honor each other above themselves. Uh, I have a friend who recently filed for bankruptcy uh, because she's a Christian except when it comes to keeping a rein on her impulses and handling her money God's way. Now, I use those examples. Those are pretty harsh. Those are pretty extreme examples. Uh, I use those examples because none of them needed more information. All of them knew the difference between right and wrong, but what they really needed was wisdom. What they really needed was to be able to say, you know what, God's made a way for this situation. Uh, he's laid a path before me, and I'm going to keep moving down that path. That's, that's really all that they needed. So I think for some of us, what we really need to do is recognize that the difference between God's plan A for my life and whatever else I might be doing is really just my exception. It's just the one area where I'm saying, God, I'm going to follow you except this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you if you'd stand with me. We're going we're gonna to wrap up here really quickly. Uh, here's the thing about Solomon. Uh, at the end of Solomon's life, he wrote a book called Lamentations. If you're wondering, just by the title... Uh, you know that's not good. He was lamenting his life. Uh, even though he was wealthy, uh, he was successful, uh, he had all these great things happening for him, but he was lamenting his life because he failed to follow God one small compromise at a time. Solomon didn't go from, uh, God, give me wisdom, to I'm going to participate in all these other sacrifices to false gods. That wasn't one leap for him. That was one small compromise at a time. So I want to ask you a rhetorical question. What is your exception? In your life, what's, what's the exception that you're making? Uh, where I, God, I want to follow you except uh, when it comes to controlling my anger. Just as an example, ask yourself this. Has that anger led me to the kind of relationships that I would like to have? Has it led me to flourishing? Now, maybe it's anger, maybe it's something else, but, but what's the exception in your life? And will you surrender that? Are you willing to surrender that exception? And someone might ask, well, why should I? Because wisdom leads to life and flourishing, but folly will lead you to regret. Now, I know that sounds like a lot of behavioral, hey, I got to be better, I got to do better. Jesus never said, do good, try harder. But he did say things like, the thief wants to steal from you. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you full life. And somebody might say, yeah, but I'm not really a religious person. Welcome to the party. Uh, none of us wants to be that. Check out what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, the people who think they're fine, who think they're doing good. I came to call sinners. So if you're a mess, you're exactly the person Jesus came for. This is Jesus' promise to the people who surrender their exceptions to him. John 7, 38. He said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is going to lead us in this old song. Uh, it was popular way before any of us was alive, I'm sure. Really simple word. All to Jesus I surrender. 
I surrender all. And I want to ask you if you'll, you'll sing along today. Uh, maybe you need a new start. Maybe you just need to say, okay, God, I want to give this up to you. Maybe it's for the first time or for the 10,000th time. I want to encourage you, sing it from your heart. I surrender all to you. If you'll lay down your exception and follow Jesus, he'll give you a new start today. And you can uh, walk away from the slide toward regret and start moving forward toward God's plan A for you. start for you. It doesn't have to be in some sacred high place or out in the wilderness where God speaks to you. He can speak to you right here, right now. And today can be the beginning of a new journey. Uh, Today can be the beginning of walking in God's plan A for your life of flourishing. It doesn't mean there won't be difficulties along the way. There will. But he's going to be with you and he's going to lead you. So, Lord, I pray that you would see every heart that is surrendered to you today. Your word says that if we, uh, that you stand at the door and knock, and if we open the door to you, you will come in and live with us. So, God, I pray that as you are here, your spirit is knocking on the door of our hearts, that each person would open up the door to you, God. Lord, thank you that when you sent your son into the world to die on the cross, he didn't die so that we could try harder. He paid the bill in full. And it's done. So I pray that as we go out the door, we go with confidence and knowing that Jesus paid for me once and for all, and it's handled and it's settled, and so I'm free. God, I pray that your work would just continue to grow in our hearts. Uh, God, that you would give us mission to bless the world around us and to glorify you in Jesus' name. Now listen, if that's you and you're thinking to yourself, okay, now what should I do? I'm going to give you just a couple of practical things. One of them is... Uh, to continue to surrender because tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to have to go through the normal stuff of life go through it with a surrendered heart continue to surrender the the life of following Christ is a constant life of just surrendering to him Um, a a second thing you can do take the card that's on your seat back to the connect table and get a copy of the story if you don't have one we're going to read chapter 13 this week uh, the story of Solomon Uh, a third thing that you can do Uh, Right now, Pastor Rick is upstairs in the upper loft with a group of people who sign up for Growth Track. Growth Track is basically the way that uh, you can find out what is Center Church about, how do I connect, and how do I grow spiritually. You can sign up for Growth Track. Just take the card that's on your seat, write Growth Track on it, drop it in the red box back there on your way out. Listen, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I pray that you would continue to do life together as a community so that you could see God continue to work in your life. So Lord, I pray that you would go with us as we go out the door. God bless our kids. I pray that you would protect them and strengthen them in mind, body, and spirit. And I pray that we would just continue to increasingly see your hand in our lives and in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday.